0: Welcome to a special edition of Business Unmuted, the business discussion programme for the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Malton or York. Three significant moments in three years. 31st of January 2020, the UK exits the European Union 23rd of March 2020, the start of two years of restrictions to tackle Covid and the 24th of February, seven days ago, 2022, the date Russia started to attempt to subjugate the whole of Ukraine. These tumultuous events are in the foreground as the government attempts to maintain its core domestic policy agenda of levelling up and building a green sustainable economy. Today we've got three people who can try and bring these momentous economic times into focus, and discuss the impact of the events and policy on the way our economy operates and our businesses can perform. James Pomeroy is the Global Economist with uh, HSBC. He is visiting the north of England to talk in person with some of the bank's many customers and clients john elliott is a long-standing manufacturer of note he runs e-back uh, uk's only manufacturer of washing machines and he's also chaired the brexit campaign in the north and mandy ridyard is the finance director at aerospace engineering firm Projumax and she also chairs space hub yorkshire welcome to you all james i'm going to start with you Great. you heard me explain <laughs> the three big events in three years how do you think our economy is looking at the moment, particularly with comparison to the previous time
1: before those three events happened? So a lot has clearly happened, as you said, and we're going through a time at the moment which is probably about as uncertain as we've had actually during the course of even the whole of the pandemic, all of everything around Brexit. We're in an incredibly uncertain period because there's a whole tonne of reasons to be optimistic and there's a whole tonne of reasons to be very, very pessimistic. And I think the problem at the moment is trying to work out where in that spectrum we could land. And the problem we're dealing with is there's so many unforeseeable events that are going to determine that. Now, what happens in Ukraine? What that does to the oil price? What happens in terms of that inflation rate that households are feeling? What happens to their confidence? How willing they are to spend? All of these things are almost unforecastable. And actually that's the problem at the moment, is it's a very, very uncertain outcome. That said, there's plenty of reasons to be a little bit cautiously optimistic. Households appear at least to be willing to go and spend. We're seeing a continued recovery in the labour market market, we're seeing jobs come back, we're seeing wages in, in rise, which is supporting consumer spending and households are sat on a lot of savings. So for, there's a whole load of reasons to be cautious and to be pessimistic, I guess, about 2022 and beyond. But there's some reasons for optimism that come from that, that consumer side. Now you uh, at
0: HSBC, the bank obviously is a big bank, it lends to a lot of customers. Mm. Um, and on if we take away the personal customers and just look at the mm. business customers. If they were coming to you to ask for large loans for investment, that really would cement the optimism, Mm. wouldn't it? Because people are not going to borrow Mm. if they're uncertain.
1: So what's it looking like from that point of view, business investment? Business investment has been an odd thing (laughs) during the course of the pandemic, where you take the big macro data we get and you'd think it, it would be terrible during a big economic downturn, but it hasn't been anywhere near as bad as you'd typically expect, mostly because of a huge amount of investment in digital upgrading. So things like investing in IT, automation, these sorts of processes, we're seeing a lot of investment in that side and that's not just in the UK actually, it seems to be a global story. There's a lot of investment in upgr- digital upgrading. The next stage is that sort of physical infrastructure coming through and that's starting and it takes time and it gets the economy, once the economy is back on a level footing there's a possibility we start to see more and more investment in infrastructure in the coming years and actually you know, key parts of that, continued digitization, continued investment in the green economy, could actually be quite important to growing um, over, not just 2022, but actually over the longer period of time, a good um, vehicle for further growth.
0: The data uh, when it comes to UK growth was mm. pretty optimistic a couple of weeks ago. That we had a growth of 7.5% last year and that yeah. beat a lot of our competitors. But it's still lagging behind where it was in 2019. Yeah. And France, of all <laughs> countries, was beating us. Uh, it was yeah, uh, announced yeah. this week. <laughs> so um, that obviously falls into your optimism category. Yes. Is it too early to say how much this tension in the east of Europe
1: at Ukraine is going to affect this optimism? Well, you're, you're completely right to flag those statistics. You know, there's two ways of thinking about it. What is happening now in terms of that growth rate, but also where did we come from? You know, the UK had a very, very sharp recession but we're growing back quite quickly now and that's the that's the optimism and that's what we're seeing in in the data but the risk is i think from what's happening in in ukraine at the moment is quite clearly on the energy side now households in the uk are already going to be facing a big increase in their energy bills in april that's going to be hugely challenging possibly to some discretionary spend because clearly if you're spending more um, of your income on, on energy, then what else have you got the money to spend on? But equally, we could start to see households dip into their savings a little bit more to keep that spending up. It's hard to say exactly the impact that's going to have um, on consumer spending. But that's something that we've got to keep in mind. You know, The cost of oil has already gone up dramatically. That's going to be very much noticed by people when they go and fill up their cars in the coming weeks. And maybe that starts to hurt a little bit of confidence, hurt, starts to hurt people in their wallets. And if that does happen, you could see a slowdown in what is currently relatively optimistic story in terms of the consumer.
0: John and I are on a shadow MPC in the Mm. Northeast and when John's on he generally and I've tended to do this as well uh, push for higher interest rates because uh, tackling inflation or keeping inflation at bay uh, was certainly from my point of view something that I regard as important I'm literally a child in the 70s I don't want to see inflation return but the bank hasn't done that and it doesn't Mm. have anywhere to go with interest rates other than up it doesn't have any power to bring them down but otherwise it
1: looks very weak do you think that the bank bank's decisions on interest rates have been a bit timid? You can argue that, but the problem we've got is we the, the things that have really pushed inflation higher have been things that are sort of out of the bank's control. So if you look at the energy prices, right, look at what's happening in Russia Ukraine at the moment, making a big impact on oil prices, on gas prices. Whether the policy rate is zero, one, two, three, four percent doesn't impact that at all. We are seeing some higher inflation in other places, but it's not quite as extreme as in the likes of energy, in some food prices, which again are heavily dependent on the global climate and what's happening in terms of crop yields, those sorts of things, um, but also things like used vehicles. Mm. Used vehicles have been a big contributor to inflation, both here and across the world. Um, And again, they're things that the Bank of England can't necessarily get a handle on. The risk is, however, that growth has essentially become too strong. Mm. We've got an economy that's growing really, really quickly, that consumer demand's really strong, and that's allowing companies to pass on a lot of cost increases. We're seeing a much higher inflation rate. And then the question comes, what should the Bank of England do? Should it be pulling back that demand, trying to limit some of that, and pricing power, I guess, that businesses have got. But equally, if you think about the things where demand is really, really high at the moment, things like leisure, um, going to events, going on holiday, that's where consumer demand is super strong at the moment. Is 1% on extra on interest rates going to make a massive difference? Possibly not. So this is the problem, not just the Bank of England, but I think every central bank in the world is staring at at the moment. They go, we need to do something. We don't want to do too much, mm. because that could risk really derailing the economy. But equally, only a small amount may not make a massive difference.
0: I'm, I'm going to bring John difference. and, and yeah. Mandy in on the next question, once I've heard your answer to it. <laughs> and that is, aren't there and the whole of the pandemic has exposed real structural weaknesses in the economy, particularly Mm. in supply chain. We've got John sat next to you who makes washing machines in the north of (laughs) England. We've got Mandy down the line who is in Bradford and she makes um, high-end components for aircraft. Mm. Uh, but they will both have supply issues yeah. because we've got long supply chains yes. and have manufacturers and British industry in general just not got to focus
1: on this balance of payments and supply chain issue properly. It's a huge issue. And it's a huge issue that's been affecting businesses, not just here in the UK, but across the world. Essentially, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong in terms of supply chains. It's been you know, the ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal. It's been COVID outbreaks in Vietnam, Malaysia, parts of China leading to lockdowns there. It's literally empty containers being in the wrong place at the wrong time, meaning you can't get stuff across the globe. And that's meant the shipping costs have surged. It's meant the bottlenecks have, have gone much, much worse. And it's a huge challenge. And that is something that's going to take a long, long time to alleviate. It's going to be something that is clearly going to make businesses think much, much more about how reliant are we on that long supply chain that is exposed to many, many risks, as Mm -hmm. the pandemic has shown. It was all fine and well when things were working perfectly, but all it's taken is one little kink and the next Mm -hmm. one happens, the next one happens, the next one happens, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So it's something that clearly businesses are going to have to be aware of. It's pushed up a ton of cost, inflation, and likely we're going to see a lot of businesses thinking about reshoring, thinking. About automating processes, thinking about how they can how they can be much more resilient.
0: Okay, let's bring John and Mandy in. John, when it comes to components, it's either just in time or it's very
2: very late. (laughs) I think we were very careful. The current situation is very unusual. Mm. We shouldn't react to this and think this is normal. This is not normal. It hasn't happened for a long time. It's been made life very difficult. So we shouldn't overreact. That's the first thing. My opinion is of course that we should worry less about GDP than our deficit. I think the biggest issue with the UK is our deficit which means we consume more than we produce and we do it year after year and we make it up by printing money or borrowing money that we can't repay uh, and or getting inward investment. I would prefer to have internal investment than inward investment. I think most of our economic policies are wrong and that's where we've got to start don't try and add for example the bank of england in in, uh, increasing interest rates that shouldn't be the way we deal with inflation inflation is a natural mechanism to correct an imbalance and the way to do that is to let it work in other words prices go up because there's too much demand or too little supply Mm. the solution is less consumption and more supply and you
0: actually living that because you're making washing machines in Britain, the only manufacturer of washing machines in Britain, the others are all imported. Um, what, what obstacles have you had to overcome to make that
2: happen? Well, the last two years have been the worst I can remember. It's, it's curved ball after curved ball and it's worldwide. And that, it's so big and worldwide it's out of control and problems often feed on themselves. Mm-hmm. For example, when we were short of petrol, everybody goes to fill up and it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So and that's what we can't control, those things. They're too big and people respond and create inflation. If we actually, inflation is a natural thing, let it take its course. Let's reduce consumption and it, or increase supply or both. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let's bring Mandy in and then we'll bring James in to hear what he has to say about that. Mandy, you, your uh, factory produces very different things, doesn't it? Just to explain to our viewers what it actually makes.
3: So our actually takes bits of metal, makes them into components and assemblies, and those go into the wings on aeroplanes that um, work the flaps that help those to take off and land. We make other things too, but that's our core business.
0: So it's quite specialist, no question about that. A niche specialist product, uh, which Britain's increasingly good at, and John is making a product that is maybe le- less specialist, but equally but important. But, tell me about the kind of issues you've had to overcome in in the recent recent months since the pandemic's been tapering off
3: um well i think it's recovering from the pandemic so for aerospace basically everything stopped and has stopped for about two years so we've had a, a demand issue within this industry however more recently that started to look a lot more positive and therefore coming back from the pandemic to not business as usual but business more like usual, is making sure that you can ramp those things up quickly. As a business, we've had to try and um, plug that demand gap by um, diversifying. So we are constantly manufacturing and engineering new components, which gives us lots of issues with um, making sure we can get that through the factory profitably, because usually at the start of a life cycle, products are less profitable than they are at their end.
0: We heard James outlining the pain that's about to come, although he's optimistic about the growth. Uh, In terms of the growth, is it affecting you now? And in terms of the pain, how are you going to deal with it?
3: So um, the growth is affecting us now, we're forecasting almost double our order book from last year.
0: Great. So
3: they're nice problems to have. We like those sort of growth problems. And we're forecasting that to continue. Um, the demand for aerospace is, is returning as as James mentioned. Um, the problems that we're facing really are around, I would say energy costs primarily. So um, if you look at our energy costs this year, they'll go up by about 100,000, 10% net profit, um, then we're looking at a million pounds worth more turnover to actually just stand still. So I think that's that's quite an important point: is how um, how energy cost increases um, affect manufacturers often more than many other industries.
0: Very interesting. Now, John, I'll flip energy over to you. You've got two dimensions: to that your actual energy costs, but the product you make is energy efficient, so it might help in the marketplace.
2: Our washing machine was, um, which in which so in which. Um, figures, they found our washing machine the most energy efficient of everyone they've tested.
0: So but bad energy prices actually makes your uh, your product more attractive.
2: Yes, and Uh, we're developing heat pumps as well, uh, which is really the ultimate way of heating in terms of efficiency. But in the manufacture of these products, just pick on what Mandy was saying, that that
0: obviously you've got high energy bills yourself. That's right. um, And are you doing anything to tackle that?
2: Yes, but these things are short term. Do you think they'll come down? Definitely there 's something look demand for electricity or, or energy hasn 't quadrupled mm. uh, it 's out of step for example um, chips there 's a twenty percent shortage there is no way in two years the consumer is going to buy one fifth mm. what 's happening is that what people do when they get a shortage they increase their stock levels mm. so everybody's buying more chips to increase their stock levels so they Let's is this the same argument it. about the petrol yeah. absolutely
1: the same once that's achieved it'll come back again mm.
0: let's uh, let's see what what do yeah. our fellow panelists think about that argument James and Mandy
1: yeah i think it's interesting john makes a good point and this is something that we've got to be aware of in the particularly in the second half of this year is when these supply demand imbalances sort of even out a little bit what happens to the prices of a lot of these materials then both in terms of shipping in terms of energy and all of these things you could see prices come back down quite sharply now it's not you know, it's not anyone's central forecasting. I guess they drop really really quickly but they could you start thinking about something like shipping something across the world the cost of doing that's gone up sevenfold because as John said everyone over orders there's a huge amount of demand but if inventory is built up and suddenly there's excess space on ships do they suddenly start competing with each other does that price drop yeah. where does it go to right yeah, and I
2: think that's an interesting thing to think about I think it will go back to Morris where it was and when it does turn it will go down quite quickly mm. because once everyone's got the stock levels up to 20 and go back to normal Mm. It'll, it'll, The drop will be quite quick when it comes. Yeah. Now I've been forecasting this for a year and I've got it wrong so far. <laughs> yeah. So timing it is going to be very difficult yeah. because it's so worldwide. Yeah. It's everywhere and there's yeah. so many things and no one can manage it. So therefore it keeps feeding on itself and making it worse. Yeah. Uh, Mandy, what do you think of this, this argument?
3: I I think um, there's merit in that argument. I think also where um, factories have been closed though for long periods of time because of COVID, then it's getting that capacity back up. So we've lost capacity in the marketplace too. So those two things work against against us. Um, If you look at um, some of the the places that were uh, making fortunes in in um, northern Italy, they were closed for six months at a time, and they're running at capacity for our industry at that yeah. point. So I think that can that can be difficult to get that capacity back. But ultimately, I'm guessing that um, it will start to level off again, as as John said. John's
0: argument makes perfect sense to me. It's an extremely <laughs> rational argument. But would I do a business plan on it? Would I put my business plan that in 12 months time, I expect energy to go down.
2: Did you do a business plan yes. on that basis? You did. The, the current situation is short term. Mm. I don't know how long short term it is. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to some normality. And it, it might take, it's taken longer than I thought now. So it'll take time. But we've got to try and manage that. That's where the government should get involved and try and manage these things, because they're artificial. But there's no way that the consumption of energy has gone up by 50% yeah. in the last two years. It's because of disruption and things, which are a bit real, <laughs> um, but they're not going to, just how long they're going to last. And yeah. a
0: similar conversation on wages, if, you, if you're having staff come in saying, well, we want a wage rate that reflects the this month's inflation figure, then that isn't necess- that's a snapshot in time. It may be the inflation figure evens itself out, or, mm. or is inflation something that isn't something that would even itself out in the same way? It, Your view, John, then? James? It will
2: come back if we allow the natural mechanisms to take place. I just find it amazing that the, we have a, a, a target of 2%. Mm. Inflation is a natural mechanism to correct an out-of-balance, and you've got to let it take its course. Trying to suppress it by increasing wages will actually make it worse. Okay, uh, Randy. Then James.
3: Um, I, I think in some of the things we're talking about obviously play into um, play into inflation. But when we're talking about energy specifically, I think we also need to think about how we mitigate and innovate within that within mm. that context. Mm. So even though I think John's right about um, it coming back to maybe a lower price, we still need to, unless we're using green energy, and we're not as a country generally, we need to work out how we're going to reduce our energy consumption for other reasons, not just cost. And I think innovation is going to help that and how we can mitigate that in the meantime whilst we're looking for innovative solutions.
1: The most important thing with inflation is to remember that it's a year-on-year change. So a lot of these costs Mm. and these prices have gone up a lot over the course of the last two years. Even if they stay where they are now, That's 0% inflation in a year's time. And that's going to be something that plays out with energy, with all these different things. The price level can stay the same. Prices may stay high. Energy costs may stay high. They may come down. They may come down a bit. They may come down a lot. But either way, that inflation rate will subside unless you get additional kickers for it to go even higher. So, if the oil price was to get to $200 a barrel, or we were to see, you know, supply chains get even more clogged up this year due to some almost unforecastable event, then yes, this can happen. But in sort of as, as Johnson alluded to, any sort of return to any sense of normality, it's hard to see how a lot of these costs and these prices go up. So, therefore, the inflation rate comes down.
0: Would you like to see the Government and the Competition Markets Authority get involved in some of this pricing a bit? I, I, in my office with 14 people, a small business, mm. virtually everyone has had their mobile phone bill go up and they've all got different suppliers but they've all gone up by inflation <laughs> plus things what 3.9%. Yeah. What Yeah. is the CMA doing <laughs> about things like that and are, are uh, inflationary
1: rises all feeding in sectors and they're all going at once? It's, it's tricky because there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. It's interesting, if you take the energy situation, if you take across Europe, if you just take um, Spain, the UK and France, everyone's had the same increase in wholesale energy prices, pretty much identical in each country. In Spain, it's all just been passed through straight away to consumers. There's no real capping or support from the government whatsoever. Huge rise in inflation in Spain, huge hits to energy bills since October last year. In the UK, we're in the middle ground. We had nothing, 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 then suddenly 50% of your energy bills. In France, the government caps it at 4%. Mm. You know, so the three countries all facing very similar underlying situation, all approaching things very differently. There's pros and cons to all of it. You know? mm. and, and I think there's, a, there's an element of political decision there. There's an element of fiscal decision there. But there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Well, look, we're going to wrap it there. I'm
0: going to just go one more round. Uh, uh, If if you think about where James started, Mandy, he said there's a negative way and a positive way to look at it. Where do you land? Are you positive
3: about the future? I'm definitely positive about the future. Things are changing dramatically and we have to be agile. But at the moment, from our position, there's lots of risks to our business. But at the same time, there's lots of reason to be optimistic.
2: John? You can't run a business on a one-year philosophy. You've got to look at the long term and make those decisions. And you're positive or optimistic? Oh, very positive.
0: Right. And and not negative. Not negative at all. That's great. And where, I suppose you've weighed it, you've given your view, (laughs) all economists weigh it. Where do you land?
1: Are you positive or or negative? I'm probably more optimistic than most economists. I see the, the, the reasons to be optimistic. And that's not necessarily blind optimism. If you go back a year, we'd have been sat here last March, everyone was very pessimistic. Right. And it turned out to be the wrong call. And I think we could be in for there's a pot, there's probably a greater possibility that we're surprised to the upside than the downside. I think,
0: Mandy, uh, John, and James, thank you for joining us. If you want to join us live in a few weeks' time on the day Rishi Sunak gives his spring statement, the 23rd of March, we're going to be live in Durham and uh, we'll be doing it live from the BMW dealership because they're our kind sponsors. If you want to come and join us uh, and meet our guests live uh, at five o'clock on the 23rd of March, please do. Thanks very much for joining us on
1: this edition of Business Unmuted.